podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello everyone and welcome back to Rival Recon here on Anfield and Next Pro. The pod's on tour this week, coming to you from a busy and bustling Mexico City, the traffic in the street evoking the Reds' fixture schedule for the next few months. The Reds recorded back-to-back wins in Anfield after a 98th-minute winner from young Fabio Cavallio on Wednesday evening. With the fixture schedule set to get even busier, as I said, there's little time to rest, and with Darwin Nunes back from suspension, the Reds must now prepare for a Merseyside derby at Goodison this Saturday. Joining me this week to look ahead to the derby and lend us his perspective on how Everton are rebuilding under Frank Lampard after last season's relegation battle, we welcome back freelance writer Elliot Cuff. Hi, thanks for having me. Thank you for thank, thank you for joining me. Uh, the, the listeners won't uh, fully appreciate the amount uh, of uh, or the saga it's taken for you to join me, um, or for me to join you rather. But yeah, v- very much appreciate you you coming on to lend us your insight as usual around uh, around Everton ahead of the Merseyside derby this weekend. And just wanted to ask you, um, yeah, before we go into this season, before we talk about you know, sort of your thoughts on how things have started, how Lampard started. Um, the players who have departed, players who have arrived. Um, I just wanted to ask you, you know, when we last caught up uh, towards the end of last season, um, you know, you were in a, I wouldn't say despondent mood, but I think you were you were in a realistic mood around the fact that it was it was going to be a very tough battle, but you you still thought it was um, a uh, a possible um, sort of result for Everton to to stay in the league. Obviously, at one stage it looked very sort of difficult um, or sort of very forlorn. Um, just give me your thoughts. Um, come the end of the season, when Everton obviously did uh, manage to um, uh, sort of salvage their place in the Premier League amidst you know, huge huge amount of struggle um, at certain points during last season. I mean, it, it really was a miraculous situation because I think even though I was a bit more optimistic when we played Liverpool, uh, there was certainly a point where, as far as I was concerned, it was done, it was over, we were gone. Um, it, you know, I think it was uh, losing 3-2 to Burnley and then um, I think did they they come back against Brentford really late on and scored yeah. two goals yeah. in the last minutes. I just thought, it's just not going to happen. You know, the, uh, the tide has turned and this very much is going to be our, our swan song. Um, so much so that I didn't watch the game against Crystal Palace. Uh, we were two 0 down, and I just thought I can't, I can't bring myself to to listen to the radio to to watch anymore. I'm done. And then obviously we had that amazing comeback, and, and you know that that kept us up. So um, it was rough, and I think the consensus amongst the fan base has been whatever happens this season, wherever we come, however we do, we cannot experience that again. And that is you know paramount importance that the club. The, the board need to make sure that whatever they do behind the scenes, that never happens because it was far, far too close. Yeah, and I think we we were discussing at one stage as well. I mean, it, it didn't really care too much about how Everton managed to stay in the league last 
last season. It was just it was just a case of finding a way to to grind out results, whether that meant playing as ugly as possible, you know, just being sort of as cynical as possible at times. And I know there are plenty of, probably plenty of Liverpool fans listening to this, thinking back to you know the the game at Anfield where I, I thought sort of Everton tried everything they possibly could to sort of drag that game down into a contest that they thought thought they could win, and actually were very successful in doing that for large portions of the game. I mean, in terms of the the way in which Lampard, who had never really been in this situation, let's let's face it, um, sort of um, took on that challenge and ended up sort of uh, uh, you know sort of saving Everton from from, from relegation. I mean, what do, what did you make of the way in which he he approached it? And in the end, I mean. For you, sort of, what were the key reasons why Everton sort of stayed up, other than obviously securing the results? I mean, who were the players who stood up in those moments? I think Lampard doesn't get nearly enough, nearly enough credit um, where credit's due because you know people who are neutrals will look at the results or uh, the scoreline and they'll always judge Everton as as playing poorly or Lampard clearly doesn't have a handle on things. But he came in at the worst possible time. Everton were in complete disarray on the pitch, behind the scenes, everything was going wrong. And he has somehow been able to to muster a bit of spirit behind the scenes, uh, unite the fan base. I mean, don't get me wrong, the fan base deserves more credit than anyone for the way they came together and supported the team towards the end of the season. All the uh, the, the parades outside the training ground and greeting the, the, the bus at Goodison Park, the fans were incredible. And I think Lampard was able to inspire his players to feed off that energy and you know we, we did see people like Calvert-Lewin step up in, in that game against Palace and and players like even Deli Ali came on um, and had a, a spirited cameo in that game in particular Richarlison was someone we can rely on to perform uh, Anthony Gordon was someone who wore his heart on his sleeve so there were certainly players that, that, that gave their all but I think you know Lampard had a terrible situation and he did the very best he could and uh, you know at, at that point in time Everton couldn't score goals and they couldn't stop conceding goals it was really a nightmare at both ends of the pitch so the fact that we were able to shore ourselves up enough to get over the line and then you know hopefully in, improve going forward is, uh, is is something that Lampard definitely deserves more credit for because it was not an easy job at all and you know many lesser managers wouldn't have been able to do it yeah, and I think I'm sort of I'm I'm happy to hold my hands up and say that I'm 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 one of those who sort of was was questioning whether sort of not he had the you know the the capabilities to to deal with the relegation battle to deal with sort of the the different things that throws your way. Uh, but I mean, looking at the results, I mean, following the ones that you mentioned, where you sort of um, perhaps had given up hope a little bit on Everton making it out. Um, yeah, there's some there's some huge huge results there against teams that sort of. Um, finished much higher than Everton ultimately in the in the league. I mean, what were the ones for you in particular that you look back on and go? Not only did the belief come back when you when you think back to those games, but they're also sort of hugely significant results, hugely impressive performances. I mean, I'm looking at the ones here: the, the win obviously against United, the the win against Chelsea, uh, win against um, two wins, or oh, sorry, a win and a draw against Leicester. I mean, which ones were they um, that you look at and think, okay, that was a huge turning point for us? Well, it's those ones you mentioned because, as you said, they, they come immediately after that Burnley game and that was sort of rock bottom. I think the United game, because it was the very first time we played after Burnley, it was only a couple of days later, Spirit at that point must have been an all-time low um, for the players and it certainly was for the fan base. And the fact that they were able to get, you know, a, a scrappy 1-0 win with a performance that wasn't great, um, but that, that, that was enough, is so important. And then and being able to build on that against Leicester and obviously the Liverpool game wasn't quite so good but coming off the back of that with a win against Chelsea and Leicester 
um, it showed that the players were willing to to fight to stay in the league. And I think that's something that fans have had an issue with for uh, for a long time without picking out specific names because, you know, there's always been rumours and speculation, but fans always find that, or at least it seems that the NFL base always has an issue with players not caring enough or not putting enough effort on the pitch. Um, players that are willing to take um, a paycheck at the end of the week and they're not overly fussed about wherever to come in the league. So I think it was so important for the fans to see that the players were willing to, to fight that bit harder to get those results. And, and that in turn, you know, spurs on the fan base to, to support those players and, and really give them all, all of the energy that they can. Um, and, you know, that relationship has always been important to Everton. I know it is for every football club, but you know, Everton are known as the people's club for a reason. They have, you know, they've always been a club that feeds off the energy of, of the fan base um, for, for good and for bad. So when, you know, the, the players were able to prove that they had enough about them, that they could bring the, the fan base on side, and they hadn't been for a long part of that season, particularly under Benitez, when the fan base had been so split. It was a really encouraging thing that I think a lot of fans are really hopeful we'll see going forward, whether that's under Lampard or whoever. We need to keep that that strength, that that bond that we have with the, with the players and the fans. And, and I'm really glad that we got to see glimmers of that, uh, of what it could be towards the end of the last season. Yeah, you're right. I think players always, sorry, fans rather always sort of, you know, Roll out that question around. Yeah, you know, do players really care? Are they really sort of giving their all for the for the shirt? And I think there's a number of players there. Perhaps we'll come on to talk about them as well. Who I think, yeah, you can easily look at them and say that they actually did give their all um, and and that they did very much care. And there's players who are on the periphery who actually have sort of re reasserted themselves into the Everton uh, sort of squad or certainly or, or first team lineup as well. And, and, Couple of players I do particularly want to mention, um, but c- come the end of the season, you have this you know, huge, overwhelming feeling of relief. Um, you know, let's not mention the last game of the season because uh, it was a, uh, it was um, obviously sort of Everton you know, cleanly safe at that stage. Arsenal just annoyed that they messed up their own chances of Champions League um, sort of qualification as well. Uh, but end of the season, you're looking at that squad. You mentioned there obviously um, the importance of. For this season, not letting the club be in a, in a similar situation, a similar scrap. Where were the areas of the squad that you looked at and thought um, these are the obvious areas? Surely we're going to prioritise reinforcing these areas uh, because that that's going to be key to allow Lampard to build whatever he wants to build uh, with Everton this season, but also make sure that we're not going to be you know scrapping for our lives again. I think uh, it would probably be easier to tell you the positions that we didn't need strength and sure. because the squad was so threadbare at that point not just in terms of numbers, but in terms of quality, that it was, you know, it was ridiculous, really. Certainly going into the transfer window, a striker was of paramount importance because, you know, even before Richarlison left, Dominic Calvert-Lewin was far too injury-prone last season. We had to rely on Richarlison playing as a lone striker or Simon Rondon, who has proven that he, you know, isn't quite up to standard. So certainly a striker. Um, and then beyond that, a defensive midfielder would have been a massive help last season. Allen is not naturally suited to it. Um, him and Decore work well together when they're playing a bit more advanced and we needed someone to sit behind them and just guard the defence. Hopefully that's something we're going to sort out in the, in the next uh, few hours. Um, and then beyond that, I mean, there's, there's, it really is so many positions. We don't have a lot of depth out, out wide. We don't have many creative players, you know, with the, with the likes of Luca Dean being sold um, in, in January and James Rodriguez going the summer, the summer before that. We didn't have a lot of natural, naturally creative players in the squad. Um, and at the back, we conceded so many goals. Yerry Mina 
was someone who we couldn't rely on. Again, his injury record was not impressive. Um, ben Godfrey wasn't able to hit the same heights that he had that he hit before his injury. And Michael Keane is is very inconsistent. So, you know, it, it's no surprise to see that Lampard this this summer has immediately strengthened that back line um, and all over the pitch. And there's there's so many gaps. Um, and thankfully, you know, we're starting to see um, recruitment that addresses that those issues, but not not just those issues um, of not having the players, but also not having the right caliber of players or the or the right um, players that fit into a certain demographic that we should be looking to recruit younger players, players that are hungry, not you know 29, 30 year olds who are towards the back end of their career and happy to take a, a big wage from a club that are willing to pay over the limit. Um, but yeah, you know it was a it, it was certainly a relief staying up, but I think every Everton fan would tell you that as soon as we had um, as soon as that safety had been confirmed, there was an immediate sort of feeling of anger towards that board and and um a a strong you know need to see work being done because there was so much work to be done and Everton can certainly not rest on the rules and just go, well that's it's right, but you know, we stayed up that they had so much work to make sure that we can move on from this, we progress because, you know, God forbid it happens again. Yeah, and in terms of sort of the 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 type of recruitment that you you wanted to see from from the club, I think in the past that we we've spoken about maybe the recruitment policy not making uh, tons of sense in terms of there being a clear piece of strategy being followed. You mentioned there sort of you know, obviously going after younger players, and there's a couple that we can obviously highlight in terms of sort of Anana who's come in 20 years old from Lille, uh, Dwight McNeil of course highly rated, um, you know, 22 years old coming from Burnley. Um, but then there are a couple others in there who've who've come through so far this uh, this window, whether on loans or sort of permanent transfers, who are a bit further on in their careers. So Neil Mope from Brighton, uh, James Tarkovsky, um, who's a sort of free transfer from Burnley. He's 29 years old, but you sort of know what you're getting with him. Connor Cody as well on loan, uh, which was one sort of, that sort of caught me by surprise a little bit. Um, and then Ruben Vinagra, um, if I'm not missing out anybody. Um, Anybody else so far? I know there are some deals that we're sort of, sort of just about sort of ready to announce. I know there's um, uh, sort of the, the possibility of Idris Segay sort of being finalised coming back to the club as well, and James Garner, if I'm not um, if I'm not mistaken, from uh, from Manchester United. But in terms of the the the, the feel of a cohesive policy there of you know targeting players of a particular profile, I mean, what have been your thoughts around sort of the recruitment so far? I've been pretty pleased with it. I think uh, the profile of player we should have been looking at um, for a long time has been young, up-and-coming, hungry players with a, with a point to prove. Everton aren't a team that are going to compete for the league title, so they should have the attitude where you know we'll recruit young, we'll develop players, and we'll make profit. Um, and then we can keep reinvesting that money into the squad, and hopefully over time we'll see growth. I think players like Onana and McNeil are brilliant examples of that. Richarlison is another example of that. Um, Unfortunately, Everton's, you know, dire financial situation meant that we couldn't turn much of a profit from that deal, but it's the right kind of player we should be looking at. Someone who was 20, 21, who had come to the Premier League impressed, and now we're going to take, you know, a chance on him and hopefully see him develop. That's exactly what we've done with McNeil and Onana, and I'm really pleased with that. Um, James Garner as well, if he comes in, would be a, a similar type of deal. I think at the back, because we were so weak last season um, and we, we lacked the leaders. I think the likes of Connor Cody, who has been, you know, he's re- renowned for being a uh, a strong voice in the changing room. Um, and James Tarkovsky, 
both of whom have a brilliant injury record. They're very, very rarely missed games. I think that was really important. And I think you can, you can risk, um, other positions more than you can centre back by going young. Um, if you have someone like a Van Dyke playing in your team, you could probably risk playing someone like a Joe Gomez, who I mean, I'm not saying Joe Gomez is a risk, but he's a younger player who is, is still learning his game. But when you're playing against or alongside someone like Van Dyke, you can afford to do that. Everton was so weak, we needed to have a lot of leaders come in. So I think that makes sense. And then players like uh, Neil Mope and, and Ruben Van Agre are really interesting for me because Vanagre especially is, is a bit of an unknown quantity. I don't quite know why we saw, I mean, we needed a left back, um, cover, but I'm, I'm not entirely sure what the thinking was behind that, that deal. But as a loan, you know, it, it, I think with, with a low permanent option, it's not such a bad deal. And then Neil Mope, I think is the, is an ideal, uh, candidate for Everton because, um, Everton are no contenders for, for Europe at the moment. In the past, we played European football, but we're certainly nowhere near that and we need to be, aware of our current position in the, in the football, um, in the Premier League pyramid. Because of that, you need to look at players like Mopé, who didn't cost an awful lot of money, who has a decent um, injury record, who can score goals when he has decent service. He's not going to set the world alight, um, but that's not what we've bought him for. He is t- to support Calvert-Lewin, to potentially play alongside him. He's a different kind of player. He has a different profile and he'll offer us a different angle. Um, and I think, you know, because it's a low investment, which is something that Everton obviously needs to focus on at the moment because of our financial situation, then, you know, it, it, it's, it's a good signing. Um, Madrid's game would be great to come back because again, it's a very low financial output, um, for someone who we know can, can do the business. He was one of our best players we've had over the past decade. So he's reliable. Um, he's a short term fix, but he's someone that we know what he can do and hopefully he can improve the squad. So I think as long as we keep we, Everton this, this summer, to sum it up, have been thinking behind, there's been thought behind the, the transfers. It hasn't been splashy Hollywood, let's throw 45 million at Geoffrey Sigurdsson or let's throw 160 grand a week or whatever it was on James Rodriguez. We've thought about where we're putting our money and that is something that we haven't done in the past. So that is a good sign moving forward. And just to talk about departures as well, because I think it's um, it's important that we mention it. I think as you were talking about, Ricarlison's obviously left the club, gone to, gone to Tottenham for... Um, sort of 58 million euros, I think it was in, in total. Um, and Deli Ali has ended up out loan on Besiktas, which is, yeah, I think obviously his, his career is a very fascinating story, sort of the way in which it's unfolded. But I mean, obviously losing a player of the influence of Ricarlison, um, I'll, I'll make no bones about it. Uh, he was one of the most aggravating players in the league. Uh, and so that means he must be doing something very effective because he finds the perfect, the perfect way to annoy me every single time. Um, I, I've watched him, but yeah, he's, you, you can see the qualities, um, that have made him sort of desirable, even by, sort of by manager, by, um, Antonio Conte standards. What were your thoughts on, on obviously losing Ricardison? And I know that obviously there was a lot of interest in, in uh, Anthony Gordon as well um, for for large swathes of the window. Um, I mean, felt sort of unfathomable that you could let him go as well. Um, just talk a little bit around sort of the, the departure of Carson and sort of the, sort of the, the unsettling, if you will, of uh, of a young style at Anthony Gordon. I think with uh, with Richarlison, it all seemed inevitable. You know, the minute we had our, our Premier League status confirmed, people were looking at Richarlison, Calvert-Lewin, Jordan Pickford, our the few stars we had in that team thinking, well, where are they going to go? Because they're not going to want to put up with 
this every season. They're not going to want to, you know, be in relegation battles. Richarlison was a was a tough one to take because no player in the squad, um, not even Anthony Gordon, who's obviously a local lad, no player in that squad connects with the fan base as much as uh, Richarlison did. Um, and it, it's one thing to say, you know, he, he irritates you as as a fan, um, as a, as an opposition fan, and you know, he, he's definitely that kind of player where you hate him if he's not in the team, but if he's in your team. You love him, and he gives everything for his football team. He wears his heart on his sleeve. He's brilliant with fans on social media. He scores goals. He works harder than anyone else. Um, and you know, it, it infuriates me. Or it always did infuriate me whenever you saw pundits question his attitude. He had the best attitude of anyone at that club last season. Um, he was brilliant. Um, and to lose someone like that is a major loss. Um, it's it's frustrating. Everton have taken so long in this window and they still haven't found a like-for-like replacement. Um, you look at McNeil, he's not someone who can operate as a auxiliary forward as well as a winger. Um, Morpé won't do that either. We don't have someone who's in the same mould as Richarlison. So it was, you know, a huge loss. But on the other hand, I'm, I'm grateful that we've been able to keep so many players. Jordan Pickford is, um, by all accounts, about to sign a new contract. I think that's massively important. Some people don't like him and there's still questions over his capabilities. But if you ask me, Emerson couldn't hope to have a better goalkeeper. Um, Calvert-Lewin is someone who, yes, his injury record is is not great. But when he's fit, he is very important to how Everton play. And he scores important goals and he's someone we needed to keep. And then Anthony Gordon, um, obviously, he's he's brought goals in the last couple of games. He's, he's scored two and two now. Um, and he has, you know, the, the likability of the fact that he's a local lad who's an Everton fan from, you know, childhood. But I think it's, it's more the, the energy he brought last season. He was so influential and he worked so hard, um, chasing down every last ball. And you could see when Everton lost, you could see the frustration in his face. And I think that, that means a lot to fans because as we were saying, it's all about whether players actually care. And if you can clearly see that this player, is wearing his heart on his sleeve. It means a lot. Um, and you know, when when we when you have talented players come through the academy, like Ross Barkley before him, you always want to see them as players succeed. So um, I think it's really important that Everton um, kept Anthony Gordon. There was a lot of talk, um, even amongst the fan base, over whether we should have accepted an offer from Chelsea because financially we're not in a good way. Um, Gordon is both. He's nowhere near the finished product. He's he's still a um, a raw talent who could become massively influential who could fall by the wayside. We don't know yet whether, you know, the question was whether Everton should gamble on potential, whether they should take the the finances and, and reinvest in in guaranteed quality. Um personally I'm really glad he's he stayed at the club. I really hope he kicks on this season and keeps scoring and keeps proving to be a more influential player. And when we have a forward and we don't have to play him up front, you know, when we play Mope or Cavalone's back or whoever else we might sign on deadline day. I think it would be he'll really prosper in this team, and you know Lampard wants to grow it. He's buying young players around him. He wants to build the team around Gordon. I think he has a big future, and I think um, it would just send the wrong message if Everton were to take a, a second big cash out for a star player and then start the season with no real fan attachment. You know, there's no players in that squad the fans can really gravitate to. Um, so yeah, I think it was really important that we kept him, and um, I'm really. Looking forward to seeing where he can go this season. 
And you mentioned sort of Hollywood names or not not pursuing Hollywood names or, or, or not pursuing a name uh, if it's, if it wasn't sort of the right fit for for the club. Uh, and I'm not saying that actually when you sort of um, signed Deli Ali that that was necessarily the case, but I think that most people could sort of see that Deli Ali was in sort of a weird stage of his career, um, sort of you know, on progressive decline in terms, of, in terms of his output and sort of like questions being asked around sort of just whether or not just how much he loves the game anymore. To be honest, you know, you think about the player he was when he first emerged onto onto the scene. Um, but I'm just interested for your perspective on on what you saw from Deli Ali because he. Obviously, it does seem like a shadow of his former self, um, and yeah, things didn't go anywhere near sort of what I imagine sort of both him and uh, Lampard had, had hoped for when he when he made the move. I mean, what was your perspective on on Ali, and sort of um, I guess what's your opinion on the way in which things have ended up playing out? I think saying he's a shadow of his former self is a really apt way to describe what we saw from Deli Ali because. On many occasions, we saw glimpses of his ability, um, his awareness, you know, his, his just technical mouse. But it was only ever small glimpses. We never got to see Deli Ali really take a game by the scruff of the neck and, and dictate pace, dictate tempo, um, ping the ball left and right and, and, and really make himself a menace for opposition teams. Um, it was a transfer that never really made an awful lot of sense. Uh, not because Deli Ali was you know, poor at Tottenham and, and did deserve a second chance. I actually was quite excited to see what Lampard can can do with Deli Ali being one of you know the Premier League's um, best ever midfielders. Lampard, I imagine, has a fair amount of wisdom that he could have been imparted onto Deli. But um, it was the fact that he never really fit into a system. He didn't start for us. I think he's only started one game in the league uh, in his 13 league appearances. And that wasn't because he wasn't good enough to start. It was because he didn't really fit. We didn't really play a system or a formation where that would work. Um, so it's, you know, it, it was always strange to me. Um, and, uh, you know, hopefully he can kick on in, in Turkey and, and we can maybe receive a transfer fee that's appropriate in the summer. But um, it's a strange one. I, I really hope he does well because he does seem, you know, there's always talks about his, his mentality and whether he cares anymore. I do think he, I do, I, I do think he cares. and I do think he wants to get better, but something's just not clicking. Um, and Everton wasn't the destination for him. Hopefully, he can uh, he can he can find that in the future. Yeah, and no, I certainly hope he can find or sort of rediscover his love for the game. Because I think, he, yeah, at his best, he really was sort of a joy, a joy to watch. So it's yeah, it's, it's never fun to watch a footballer sort of seemingly falling out of love with the uh, with the game or sort of falling out of love with um or yeah. As we discussed, just just becoming a shadow of their former selves, and um, certainly at his age as well. Um, of the other signings that have come in so far, I mean, we'll, we'll sort of talk about sort of the games that we've seen so far in the Premier League. But uh, of the of the signings that you you have had a chance to see in action so far, um, who's impressed you? I think uh, Onana is someone who you know automatically um, with his how big and physically imposing yeah. he is and catches he, the eye. Yeah, it's <laughs> a big guy. Someone you can already see as a potential star in the making. Um, we don't know whether he's going to to end up that way. Um, what you know? Uh, we don't know how he's going to be um, going down the the road. Hopefully, he'll continue to develop, to develop and, and find more confidence under Lampard and and um, get better and better. I think also Tarkovsky and Conor Cody have both been really solid. They've been really impressive at the back. Um, we didn't know what to make too much of them. How how they would. Because I think sometimes when you sign players like that that have been at a club like Burnley or Walls for a long time, is there a, p- a period of time where you need to um, 
become acclimatised with your new situation, with your new um, area. How you, how quickly you're going to come into that team and settle? And they both did that really quickly. They both looked like they've played alongside each other for a long time. So I think that's also impressive. The rest, you know, we haven't seen enough of the likes of um, McNeil yet to really make a judgment. But I think we've got a good nucleus of players that have come in there, and, and I'm I'm hopeful that they can all come in and develop and, and improve. But, you know, time will tell. You can never know with, with signings. I, I, and you're obviously in the same position with the, the signings that Liverpool have made this summer. You never know how they're going to develop over time. You have to just be hopeful that uh, they are the right the right characters and they have the right mentality to, to go forth and do that. And one thing I, I remember always discussing with sort of, uh, sort of Wolves journalists when I was sort of previewing games against them was uh, they're discussing sort of managers who, who'd, who'd come into Wolves and, and, and tried to make them a bit more of an expansive side. Uh, you know, a side that created more chances were generally a bit more attacking and just purely rely on sort of counter-attacks the way in which Wolves had done over the past few seasons. And, and one thing they did mention um, quite often was the fact that they were they were held into playing a back three um, just because of the way in which, you know, Conor Cody liked to play. It wasn't too comfortable necessarily in the back four, much preferred a back three. Um, and as a result, sort of they didn't feel, feel like they could change that. I'm just interested um, in, into your perspective here is, um, whether you think Lampard was always always intending to line up that way. I've, I've seen he has done a couple of times so far this season. Or you think that's actually something that's probably actually been enforced by the fact that um, you know it's, it's, it's where Cody's most comfortable? I think we saw hints of that last season, if I'm not mistaken. I can't remember exactly, but I'm sure we saw Lampard operate with the back three. Um, towards the back end of last season. And I think that was very much the case of we just need as many defensive bodies on the pitch as we can. We're, we're leaking goals left, right and centre. We need to try and ensure that defence up. Um, and that's probably something that's carried forward. Also, we are so weak in midfield. We don't have the options in midfield. Um, so we played three midfielders against Leeds. We had uh, Onana, Davies and Awobi playing as the three. But before that, we didn't have the players to, to really do that, whether you know one was injured or before Anana had come into the club and, and got up to speed. So it, it was almost more of a necessity based on just the players we had that we played that three at the back. Um, Cody played alongside Tarkovsky in a back four against Leeds and he looked solid. I think we looked more um, composed and more resolute than we did against Brentford, the, uh, our previous game where we did play a back three. So it's, it's strange that you know Connor Cody has basically been let go of Wolves because they don't want to play a back three anymore, and he, he might not end up playing in a back three for us. Um, I think it's good to have flexibility, but you know I'm I'm not a fan of the back three formation personally. So uh, you know I'd, I'd like to see us, see us play four at the back a bit more, but you know who knows what, what's going what, what Lampard is what Lampard is thinking. Certainly some of the other signings like Ruben Vanagre make you think that he would like to play three at the back. He's more of a wing back. Um, Vitaly Mikolenko is more of a, a natural left back. So um, it's good to have options. You know, it's good to have players that can do both. Um, and at the moment, we've got five centre backs, five senior centre backs. So if Cody is the preferred option in a, in a three back, but we want to play Yerry Mina or, or Ben Godfrey in his place, if we go back to a, a four, a flat four, then um, it's good to have that, that rotation, that the, those options that we can rely on. And just looking at sort of the fixtures this season, I mean, what have you made of sort of Everton's start to the season? I mean, there was those two losses, uh, sort of narrow one to Chelsea, um, again, a narrow one to Aston Villa, who've obviously been struggling as well at um, the start of the season, followed by three draws. Um, and, and actually, three draws in the types of games where you think actually the, the securing points on those games will, will ultimately or could ultimately be very important. Not that you want to be obviously involved in 
uh, a relegation scrap again this season, as you mentioned. But you know, get, picking up a point against Nottingham Forest at the start of the season when they're, when they're likely to be at their most confident, sort of most buoyant, uh, you know, Brentford as well, yeah. Leeds as well, and um, they feel like they could be valuable uh, valuable points in the end, especially if you feel like Everton aren't sort of at full strength at the moment as well. What have you made of sort of the the game so far, and have there been any sort of real notable trends that you've identified so far? It's another one where Everton fans will, will probably have a different perspective than, than the neutral fan will because on the surface, they're all games, apart from the game against Chelsea, they're all games that we should potentially be looking at to pick up all three points. Um, but I think, you know, if you look at how poor we were towards the back end of last season, all that mattered was that we saw an improvement and we've definitely been better. Um, we've We've lacked... We've lacked uh, a cutting edge up front, but that's because often we haven't played with a striker or we've been playing with Salomon Rondon up front and he's he's not of the right calibre um, for us to really have much of a goal threat. Um, at the back, we look far more solid than we did last season, so that's a, a clear improvement. Um, we haven't conceded a lot of goals in any of the games we've played. Um, two goals, I think, is, is the most. Um, Villa scored two and so did uh, Chelsea. Um, but other than that, we, you know, we've definitely improved. Things are definitely going the right way. You mentioned what are the the trends or, or the patterns we're seeing pop up, giving away silly goals, silly mistakes, uh, defensive errors after you know defending solidly for eighty minutes, making a um, a really easy to avoid um, lack of concentration mistake that leads to a goal. That's something that we we've suffering at the moment, um, and it's it's frustrating to see. Um, but I do think. As Lampard said after uh, we conceded against Leeds, um, and Leeds basically took possession of the, the second half, and they were in, in complete dominance, and we were able to hold them out and, and get that draw, um, and even created chances to, to potentially win it late on. As Lampard said, that that's the kind of game last season we would have lost. We we wouldn't have been able to um, find find it within ourselves to, to keep going. It's it's one we we would have heads would have dropped, we would have given up and the floodgates would have opened. So I think we, you know, even though we're not getting as many points on the board as we'd like and we're giving away silly goals that have cost us results against um, the likes of Brentford, um, I do think that we are seeing a clear improvement and we are getting better. And the more names we get in, the more the likes of Onana and McNeil embed themselves in, in how we play, I think we'll start to see those results come around and the points will, will start to add up. Yeah, and it does have the Merseyside derby. It's 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 an early one this season um, at home, uh, and I think it's fair to say, you know, despite what you're saying there around sort of the the need for Everton to improve, the need for Everton sort of to to reinforce their squad as well. Some of the hoping for bigger impacts of some of the new signings as they get integrated into the side. Uh, I think it's fair to say that Liverpool sort of had have had a sort of a poor start to the season as well. Uh, you're struggling to integrate a couple of new players, changing changing the system. Departure of some you know, long-serving players like Mane, for example, Origi, who's sort of used to turning to from the bench. There will be no Divock Origi uh, in this year's Merseyside derby. I'm sure um, Everton fans will be very happy to uh, to hear that. Um, but you know, just given Liverpool's relative struggles and sort of uh, sense of fragility that you can, I, I feel like most teams can sort of sense around Liverpool at the moment. Uh, news that Henderson has uh, limped off with a hamstring injury tonight as well. Uh, that's another midfielder down um, with just a few hours to go. Who knows if, if anyone's going to be coming in for uh, for Liverpool um, in, that, in that position. That does seem doubtful. Do you think Lampard will be tempted to actually perhaps go at Liverpool a bit more than maybe you'd ordinarily predict um, that, that he would this early in the season? 
um, you know, let's say Liverpool were in flying form, like we've seen uh, in, in the past yeah. few seasons. Of course, there was that 9-0 against Bournemouth, for example, but that's a you know, very specific case. How do you think he's going to approach this game? Well, I'd like to see him approach it in the way you just described, because you know there's every reason for us to give it a go. Um, obviously, we come into every game as the underdogs. We come into every game with a sort of inferiority complex that you know we're not as good as Liverpool. But they haven't lit the world alight, and there's every chance that if we gave it a go, we could snatch a result. Um, I don't think it'll, it's going to happen, but um, if I'm if I'm completely honest, but I would like to see us approach the game with a positive mentality, um, especially you know with you as you said that you're struggling so much with um, injuries in midfield. There's a, a lack of options for you. It's something that you know if we could say dominate midfield or, or attempt to dominate it. I know we're probably not going to have the lion's share of the possession stats. Um, it's something that we could hopefully use to our advantage. Um, it, it's definitely a tactical game, and Lampard's going to need to be right on it. Uh, he hasn't used any subs in recent weeks. He's going to need to start using his uh, the options he has at his disposal. And you never know. I don't know what the cut-off point is for transfers being registered, but you never know. We could have a couple more in you know on deadline day that could help um, turn the tide. Uh, it will be a tough game, and I certainly don't think the Liverpool struggles so far. Um, will deter them very much at all. Jurgen Klopp has always been someone who's uh, able to rally the troops before facing Everton. Um, I know, you know, a lot of Liverpool fans might not look at Everton as a, as a particularly tough game uh, compared to the likes of Man City and uh, Chelsea and, and all those, you know, the big sides. But um, I think Klopp has always had the right mentality to treat it like a proper derby and to give his, his players up and, and make sure that they're ready for the task at hand. Um, and that's something that Everton will have to contend with. Uh, so it's going to be tough. Um, Liverpool are scoring goals. Everton aren't so much. Um, unless, you know, we can play more pay and maybe he, he fits in straight away. Who knows? Um, either way, it, it's going to be a tough game. Uh, we, we really need to be on it. And I, and I really do hope that we have that positive mentality because Lord knows, looking at the trends, looking at past years, if we sit back, and we wait for Liverpool to attack with the game plan being, let's hit them on the counter. It won't work and we'll concede and we'll lose. So, you know, fingers crossed, but who knows? Obviously, sort of the game where, where Darwin Nunes will be back as well. So hopefully he can sort of uh, keep control of his um, his emotions in what I'm sure will be sort of a, a pretty uh, frenetically paced game at, at some stages, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so I mean, I think I, 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 I think I saw some photos of him celebrating the the late winner today, actually against Newcastle, and he was on the bench, uh, and he like he looked like he was very ready for a scrap. So I'm hoping I'm hoping he reins it in, to be honest. But um, uh, as always, Elliot, thanks so much for for all your insight there into Everton. Uh, so I really appreciate you coming on and um, giving us your opinion on sort of where where, where the club stand at the moment, sort of where. Sort of, where Lampard's looking to take them as well. But uh, yeah, thanks as always. Really appreciate that. It's a pleasure. Thank you for having me. It's, uh, I think this is four times in a row I've done this now. Mm. So, um, and, you know, we, we won one of those games. So. There was. Yes, there was an Anfield win, right? Yeah, yeah. so... No, absolutely. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I think um, despite the Liverpool listening audience, I think you know, people like to be as tribal as you can, especially ahead mm. of this game. But... Um, I think there are quite a few Liverpool fans who are very happy. Actually, well, so they're very happy. Let me, let me temper that. Were were happy to see Everton uh, sort of not relegated last season as well. I think it's obviously incredibly important 
for the city, yeah. let alone sort of the rivalry, etc. So, um, and to all the listeners who've been tuning into Rival Recon um, here on Anfield Index Pro, there's been a lot of these games coming thick and fast. As I mentioned on the last pod, took me by surprise that uh, we were suddenly back into the two games a week um, frequency. Obviously, now with the with the European fixtures as well, that's going to ramp up even even more. Uh, so there'll be another pod uh, from me ahead of the Wolves game on Saturday, 10th of September. Obviously, the Champions League game wedged in between then. But between now and then, do do check out all the other great pods on Anfield Index Pro. Uh, but uh, yeah, uh, until then, we'll see you ahead of the Wolves game. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index. And find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds, and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.